welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host. James Fox, senior writer at Future Sox, will be alongside shortly. We have a treat on this episode. Zach Birdie, right-handed pitcher of the Chicago White Sox, took the time to talk to us. And it was a really good conversation. I can't wait for you all to listen. Stick around after the conversation because James and I elaborated a little bit on what's going on with the White Sox managerial search. If you follow James's work on Southside Sox, he just released an article detailing a little bit of where the White Sox are in terms of potential candidates, what the situation looks like at this point, and a whole lot more. So you're going to want to stick around till after the Zach Birdie interview as well. So do us a favor. Listen to the whole thing. Really appreciate you tuning in. Without further ado, let's introduce Zach Birdie, who was kind enough to join us via Zoom call. We're pleased to be joined now by right-handed pitcher 2016, first-round draft pick, Zach Birdie of the Chicago White Sox. Zach, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on the Future Sox podcast. This was a huge year for you as you made your Major League debut, of course, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let me ask you how you're doing how are you feeling how's your family you just went through one of the most bizarre seasons in the history of sports uh, now that the off season's here how are you feeling physically mentally and uh, how are you in terms of your health yeah I mean to start off everyone's good family's good just going through the same stuff that, that everyone else is just trying to to make the most of this time and and um, trying to see some some light during it all but uh yeah coming off this season the biggest thing was definitely getting an off season in that wasn't based on rehab or um, trying to trying to recover or get through um, an injury that happened during the season. So um, to have a clean slate, to have a clean off season, and not really have to have the burden of of fixing a, a part of my body is going to be something that I look forward to. And I'm already in the mix of it right now. And um, yeah, super excited and um, definitely uh, something that I've been been wanting and needing the last couple months and years. You know, Zach, you made the big league debut, and obviously, you know, it's probably a moment that you've thought about forever. Uh, what, I guess what was something that surprised you about the big leagues? I mean, obviously, you know you're going to go up there and hitters are going to be a little bit better. The debut um, was awesome, and, you know, I think everybody was, was happy with the stuff. And then you ended up getting roughed up a little bit. But what, I guess what was, like, the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge for me, for sure, is um... – just consistency going out there every time and, and having lockdown stuff and, and when you don't have it finding a way to get there even though even though it is an obstacle that day so for me it's just it's a matter of like you go up there and in triple a double a there's days where you can you can kind of get by with with your 50 percent stuff but if you can't trick your mind into think it has its 100 percent stuff every day you're in for you're in for it i mean these guys are too good um they put in the same amount of time as you do and yeah, I mean, it's it's man versus man out there, and everyone's out there trying to to put their best stuff forward. So not that that was shocking or uh, surprising, but it was definitely a shock. Coming from um, last year, I only played half a season um, and then went down on my knee. And so this year, um, not really having a AAA season to kind of gauge that type of uh, competitiveness and getting kind of thrown right into the fire from Schaumburg was definitely something that you couldn't really prepare for. It was really tough to prepare for stuff like that in Schaumburg. You only do sim games and and throw bullpens and then to go straight into a game is is way different of a feel and along with that too not having fans not having fans was pretty weird to begin with um kind of looking around the stadium at being empty you feel like you're playing an inner squad game at college and that was definitely a big difference that you notice right away as soon as you run out from the bullpen it's there's not a huge jitterbug to it there's not a lot of adrenaline so 
um, it was definitely the guy's responsibility. It was your own responsibility to to figure out how you could find that adrenaline, find that that different that different level um, that you need when you go into a game for sure. So, you know, you mentioned it, but without a minor league season, you know, there weren't a ton of reports where it's like, you know, Zach Birdie's dominating down in Charlotte. He should get called up at any point. And, you know, last year, I think the reports were, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you were coming back from Tommy John still, and maybe your velocity wasn't exactly where you wanted it or where people expected it to be. But, you know, it looked probably as good as ever once you made it to the majors this year. So when did you feel like your stuff was really like back for you? Was it this year? So during quarantine, there's a lot of things that I wanted to tweak and a lot of things I wanted to work on for a long time um, that was kind of getting prohibited from my knee. And going into spring this year, my goal, I just wanted to compete. I wanted to compete. I didn't care how my stuff was moving. I just wanted to go out there. I wanted to get on the mound. I wanted to get as many reps as I could. And once I got past that, um, obviously with spring getting canceled, I went straight into live babies at home. And, and that's where everything kind of took off. Getting back to being who I was uh, on the mound, both mentally and, and physically. I'm an explosive guy, and um, I think with Tommy John, I've kind of became unexplosive, not on purpose or anything like that. Just with being off the mound and not really feeling that that movement for a long time definitely prohibited me from from making that smooth transition that a guy like Dane and Jimmy had this year, where or Kopech, like these guys who are coming off the the 12 to 14 month and just going out there and, and nailing down and um, unfortunately, the way my surgery was planned out uh, time-wise, with it being in August and then uh, this season ending in September, it was really tough to get that feeling. And then, unfortunately, going down with another injury. So, yeah, it was it was a time thing. I I, uh, I needed time. I needed to get back out there, and I needed reps. And I needed to find myself again, find myself as a baseball player, and and really um, and feel that groove, that that nice. Um, what let's what Tiger Woods says: it's feel versus real. I had the feeling I didn't really have that that real um, game to plug it into until this season. And once I had that, it was it was kind of running um, running from there. It was it was really good feeling. I was super excited about it. So I remember you told somebody you saw what somebody on the internet with like some sort of grip that you tried, and that like kind of made a difference for you. Am I am I correct about that? Yeah. So I was on Twitter and I was going through just my, my Twitter page and whatever, my media page. And I came across this tweet from my old baseball coach. And um, essentially all it was, was it was different verbiage of, of a movement that I've been trying to sync up and feel for, for a couple of years now. And especially with my knee trying to refine it. And all they were explaining was how to get into your hips and, and drop your hips. And they were explaining it as a hip line. So you want your hip line to drop. And as soon as I thought of that as my belt line, and I was trying to change the level of my belt as I was sloping down the mound, everything clicked. It was one of those things where it was so obvious and so clear. I just didn't know how. I couldn't pick it out while watching video. Not a lot of other people. It was just, it was very clear I needed to do it. And as soon as it explained to me that way, I ran with it. And like we talked about before, going through quarantine and, and kind of being back on my mentals and physicals and, and having those two on the same frequency, and then adding that with this new movement that I've like figured out or, or I seen, it was really cool. And it was something that definitely propelled me to, and allowed me to, to have the year that I did. Where is it that you gain the most out of when you're working with either people close to you uh, independently 
or through the White Sox organization? Are there specific workout routines that are organized for you that help you get back to where you need to be? Are you a part of any sort of program that helped you rehab uh, and get your velocity back to obviously what we saw in 2016? Is that done independently or are you working closely with the White Sox there? It's pretty similar to what most guys are doing. You have your independent plan during the off season that the White Sox kind of go through and they, and they nitpick and they say what they would like to improve on as well. And um, once you know their information and you have your people, it all kind of becomes a collision and you kind of just work from there. So um, the White Sox, my big thing was talking to Mike Reinald. I was just, he was explaining to me, he's, I was stuck in this rehab mindset. So I would throw, I would come in, or I, even before I would throw, I would throw weighted balls. And then I would go throw, then I would come in, I would do about a half hour of like arm rehab, and which is great. It's a great thing. Most young guys have to do it. But coming off of TJ, I was just putting so much extra stuff on my arm. So the big thing that we kind of correlated between us and the White Sox um, us being my camp and, and the White Sox camp. And it was just a matter of just kind of reeling it back and, and not doing as much or kind of at some days, anything for a long time for me, it was, it was the harder work that you work, the more success you'll have. And that is, it was a pretty tough cycle to get stuck in and not really understand that I was hurting myself more than I was benefiting it. So once the science was put in front of me and I understood what I was actually doing in my body with measurements and strength tests. I was like, man, I really do need to um, kind of reel back. And um, that was in spring. So kind of in the same transition of where I found things in quarantine, all of that stuff really had like a, a huge um, burst with each other and it all came together. And then next thing you know, I feel like myself confidence is back. I'm doing uh, what I do to hitters I had in the past. And it was just a really, really good transition that both the White Sox and my camp kind of came up with together, mostly from the White Sox side. And then we just accepted it once we got the science in front of us. And it was awesome. It was a really good uh, collaboration. And obviously, we all, we all saw it come to fruition this year. Yeah, that's great to hear. The confidence is obviously showing uh, in the way that you're answering a lot of these questions. And it's also very exciting to know that you are healthy and you're about to approach this offseason healthy uh, and you can go through a plan without much restriction. And you mentioned the science of it. And I can't help but think about going into the alternate site for you. And you worked with you know, the Rapsodo machines and all these analytics that they're incorporating now. I mean, baseball is a new world, really, when you're looking at all of the new incorporations of competitive advantages. You know, you talked about transitioning during quarantine in the spring and you're getting back into it. When you were at the alternate site, what was that like working with some of the data and some of these coaches that sort of helped you get to that next level? Yeah, I mean, it was great. Z and Teef were the two guys I worked with primarily. Um, but not only my, like my, my own stuff, but you see guys like Berger, you see guys on the hitting side of things, working with Wes, working these, and they have their analytical things. And in my opinion, from what I've seen throughout going through the system, this summer we all really had an explosion in growth. Um, just being able to every single day have your analytics put in front of you, the science put in front of you. Okay, you threw a bad pitch. Why did I throw a bad pitch? And then you have another pitch to fix it, and then the data comes right back onto you. So to have that and to have those quick adjustments is so big. And it's something you can't really do during a full season because you're playing games every night. So for a good majority of our prospects to be together, to be kind of 
um, sharpening each other, sharpening each other's skills. It was really, it was something that a lot of guys enjoyed. And I think people are going to be really surprised with the growth that minor league baseball took, not only with the White Sox, but I'm sure other organizations as well. It was a very good summer to, to find out what you needed to work on and grow in that, in that aspect. Zach, two guys that you mentioned, Everett Tiford and uh, Matt Zaleski are guys that we've heard about for years. What makes them uh, such good coaches and so good at what they do? They're very different. They're two different guys. So that's a huge thing. Um, sometimes you'll, uh, you'll get into um, a routine or your college team, your professional team will be surrounded by a lot of the same characters, and those characters can't relate to, to 50% of the team. But those two guys do a great job where Teef has some guys that he is really good with, Z has some dudes he's really good with. In that middle part, they both just jump in um, with that group. So with that, you kind of just feel very personalized. You know um, these guys have your back. You know that they're working and um, they're trying to better every single guy around them. And not that that's ever been an issue in the past with the White Sox. That's how – that's the only way I've known it since I've been here. So it's not uncommon. Those two just have a very good sense of the mound and their guys, and um, they're able to communicate what you, they want you to do very easily. So, you know, you kind of talked about your offseason plan a little bit. Do you have anything, you know, in regards to any pitch design changes or anything specifically you're working on? Um, yeah. No, there's a lot of things um, that I'm working on, and there's some things that I want to fix. Um, I think mechanically the consistency of part of that is going to be huge, being able to go out there every single day and, and have the same stuff. And like you're saying, the design of it all comes from your mechanics. Your mechanics change, your pitches are going to change. So you got to get that right and then – Leading to that, I think the biggest thing is I got to figure out how to really grind on my slider, figure out what the, the depth and how I'm going to change that vertical drop and that horizontal movement. And not that it was bad uh, this year, but it was just inconsistent. There were sparks of it where it was a really, really good pitch and same with the changeup. But the best players in the game, you look at their stuff, you look at their analytics, it's consistent. They're consistently throwing top big league pitches to top big league hitters all the time. And I think going into the offseason, that's going to be huge. Um, talking to Huey, um, Hoyer, that's something that we both communicate. We want to work on our pitch designs. We want to be able to, to take that next step where you're just constantly throwing very, very good pitches that are going to have good results. So that's our biggest thing, and that's my biggest thing for sure going into this offseason. Zach, I know something that's very encouraging for us, I think, just as fans, is to see you back, obviously, pitching on the mound, but your stuff is there. And you talked about mechanics. The velocity is back up. The slider looks sharp. And you, you were able to rip off some pretty nasty change-ups as well in limited capacity at the big league level this year. With that being said, I mean, there, there had to be this transition. And I think it really started with the knee injury, right? You go back to that knee injury and how much the right knee impacts the rest of your mechanics. Could you just kind of elaborate on that? I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but how severe this, the knee injury impacted what you were doing consistently um, as something that I guess you've been used to throughout your career? Yeah, so if you look, I mean, if you look at my spring from this year, um, it was against the Rockies. It was a great outing, um, and that's where baseball gets tricky. So I struck out, I think I struck out the side, but if you look at the mechanics, the mechanics are – very poor. Um, there's no, there's no movement into the legs. It's just a lean back and a rip forward and which is fine. And the results were there. And that's where oh, I'm saying it gets tricky because you like the results. So is it the mechanics or what is it? And I think when I was doing that, it was all just to protect my knee. So once I got healthy, healthy enough to where I could get back into my legs 
and I was able to fully sink into the mound, that's when everything just kind of jumped and just took that next level of, um, of analytics, just the, the velo, the vertical jump, the drop on both off-speed pitches. So, yeah, I mean, that played a huge, huge part going into the season. Yeah, and speaking of those analytics, once you're starting to get a consistent feel, right, you're getting the information presented to you on a consistent basis, what was it like at the big league level? How were they implemented? Like, How would you take what you know in terms of analytics and apply it to a game situation? Yeah, so mostly every team is going to have their hot and cold, their charts and, and their pitches and what pitches guys don't like and um, where you want to throw certain things and it goes the opposite way. They have all the stuff that they could ever dream of as you as a uh, pitcher. So it is, it's kind of an analytical battle um, in that sense. And then you just have to, you have to consume that stuff. You have to do your homework um, because everyone else is. So it's just one of those things where if you don't, you're already putting yourself behind the curve and then you go and throw, you do whatever you you have a good outing, you have a bad outing. Typically what you do is we have an, have an iPad, the iPad has your, entire thing it has your spread of what you just went through and, and so on and so forth and it's like anything else it's like it's your homework you look at it you figure out what you did wrong and then you study and you make an improvement when you're playing catch that day and you work with coup pass and um they got all the the access balls that we need and stuff like that and yeah i mean analytics is is taking over the game and it's one of those things if, if you don't want to hop on board that's fine it's just you're just going to be left behind um it's just that's just how it's going to be and i think a lot of guys are starting to understand that. And I, trust me, I was against it too. Um, I was a new school player who thought old school. I didn't think analytics was going to be that big of a thing. And then um, sitting on my, on my rear end for 12 months rehabbing, it was about the only thing I could read. Um, and I realized that exactly what I'm saying. Every, if everyone's doing it, you got to do it. So that's my biggest thing with it. Well, and so obviously too, Zach, and, and part of that is, you know, throwing as hard as you did or, and do and, you know, coming up when you did, a lot of times I feel like you could probably get by with just stuff, right? And so as you did that, you moved quickly through the, through the system before your Tommy John surgery. How, how different would you say the organization is now than it was in 2016? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's far different. When I first entered the system, we were pretty top-heavy on prospects still. We had just made a couple trades with – I think that was right when we made the Padres trade. But, yeah, we, we, we were pretty thin, and then I got hurt. And when I got hurt in 17, we made the big-time trades. I mean, that was Ruth, Dunning, Geo, Lopez. All those dudes were that offseason, 16 to 17. So that was the big shift. Once we had all those dudes and we had the depth of prospects, then it was just a matter of how can we, how can we affect one another and that's the biggest that's the biggest change I've seen is it's no longer a single man battle of um, I'm going to go take care of my thing. You take care of your thing. It's OK. It's, it's more so let me pick your brain. You can pick my brain because that's going to make both of us better. And if both of us are better then the Chicago White Sox are better. So um, it is it's iron sharpens iron. And it's not something that we outwardly talk about. It's not something that needs to be addressed because that's just what professionals do. You don't worry about the guys next to you ability of how it's going to affect your stuff negatively. You try and help anybody you can because one, that's what not only good teammates, but what good people do. You find what you do well, you find other people do well, and then you collaborate on it. So um, I think that's been a huge deal. Um, and circling back to ZET, I mean, we've added some real times dudes within the pitching, pitching staff, coaching staff, hitting staff. I mean, these guys have like top level guys touching their mechanics and affecting them day to day. 
Yeah, I talked to Ben Hansen last year for a story, and he was, you know, it's just like a super interesting guy um, as well there. I guess just like from from a data standpoint, you know, like your first spring training compared to this one, I feel like, you know, they got all the, like Mike said, they got all the edutronic machines out and all that sort of stuff. Is it from that end, is it much different now than it was then? Did you enter the organization at a time where maybe – like some of the prospects weren't using that stuff as much, but now it's like all over the place. Yeah. Um, when I first got, we didn't, I mean, it was all, it was the eye test for basically everything. We didn't have much analytics. We weren't handed much analytics and we were, it, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was old baseball. It was, that's how it was. And then now you look at it. I mean, you can't get on the mound without a track man on you or rap soda on you. Uh, most guys are throwing with axis balls, trying to figure out their spin. So, yeah, I mean, hitters have their, their GPSs. I mean, it's wild. It's one of those things where that's just how it has to be, and that's how it's going to be. And I think it's it's a smooth transition that the White Sox have made, and they've incorporated it at all the levels. And I think guys love it, and, you know, they're going to continue to love it because it has a positive effect on, on your day-to-day, and that's what guys want. They want to see improvement, and those machines allow it. Tech, outstanding stuff. Thanks so much for being so candid and, and willing to share a lot of what, you know, you told us here for the listeners, we really appreciate it. We've been a fan, obviously, since you got drafted in 16. The stuff is real, and it's awesome to see it translating now, finally. And we're looking forward to what you're able to provide in 2021. Uh, before we let you go, I wanted to just ask what the atmosphere was like once you got into a big league situation. You were there on a day-to-day basis. Uh, what was the reception like from the teammates and the bullpen and the coaches? How was that atmosphere for you? Oh, it was awesome. It was, it was different for me, especially because I haven't been around these guys for – this is my, my first big league spring training in a couple of years. So this was really the first time I was around them unless I was going to get a physical on the other side at the beginning of spring. So for me, it was, it was just so much fun to be around a group of guys who I played my first full season with in Charlotte and to be around Yo, to be around Gio, and then to be around the guys that I came up with as well and, like, to see them live out their dreams. It was such a – it was such a good mix of guys that um, all played different roles in different parts of my life. And to experience that and then not only experience that, but you get to, you get the new stuff, you get Keiko, you get Gio uh, Gonzalez, you get uh, Sheck, you get Detweiler, all these dudes who have seen so much and been around so much. And like, you don't want to be the annoying young guy, but it is tough. You want to, you want to ask them questions. You want to pick their brain and um, you want to hear about experiences. So yeah, like I was saying, I mean, it was so cool. And, um, one of those things that uh, you look back on and um, you didn't realize at the time it was a great part of your life. And um, looking back now, I mean, uh, so grateful and um, can't thank the White Sox enough for that experience. Zach, you did mention pitching in the ballpark without fans. And, and I'm sure, you know, one of your goals is to be back in the big leagues as soon as possible. But as, you know, a local guy from, from Downers Grove, do you think, you know, the next time you pitch on a big league mound, like in Chicago, if there's fans, is it going to feel like a big league debut or, or do you think it might not since you've already done it technically? It's going to have a, it'll have a great feel to it. Um, just having so much uh, friends and family in Chicago still, and um, it'll be awesome. It will be a very special night when that time does come. And, and there's going to be a lot of people out there cheering and, and screaming for me. So that's going to be cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll always remember my debut against the Indians and the no fans thing as weird as it was, is so unique, so cool. And, and to tell people you made your debut during such a wild 60-game sprint is, is awesome. And, yeah, I think when, when fans do come back, we're going to love it. The, the stadium will be bumping, and they're going to have 
a good group of guys to to watch every day. Zach Birdie of the Chicago White Sox. Zach, thanks so much for jumping on the Future Sox podcast. You were great. No problem. Thank you, guys. Boy, how about Zach Birdie? James, what an interview. I mean, he was he was pretty open about a lot of the stuff that we were asking him. It's not like that we were pressing him on on stuff super hardcore, but man, that was a really good conversation. I thought. Yeah, he's you know he's always been interesting, and he's not you know he's not like a real a starry eyed kid anymore, right? I think he's probably. 24 years old at least and he's been in the system and he was up like talking to the actual media multiple times this year so yeah very polished but definitely you know willing to share you know the stuff about his process and some of this some of the stuff from Schaumburg is awesome because I think that's stuff that that people like to hear I think there's a large segment of people who kind of think that the White Sox are still stuck in the Stone Ages a little bit. And it's like, a, you know, the same organization like we've talked about just because the same people are in charge. But, you know, as he elaborated a little bit, the, the organization is much different than it was in 2016, regardless of who's at the top of the, you know, the organizational pyramid, I guess. Yeah, that definitely stood out to me uh, for sure. And I think that kind of reaffirms what we've been hearing and reading about and what's been reported. It's not like it's false, right? But just to hear it straight from a source who experienced it, it just continues to reassure that this organization is taking the modern steps to to stay in tune with what's going on across Major League Baseball. And again, it's all competitive advantages. Why would you not want to adapt these types of things, right? To get better uh, across the board. Uh, Another thing that I was really encouraged to hear about is the fact that he is healthy finally and he's going into an offseason where he doesn't have to rehab you know I mean the knee injury the Tommy John in 2017 the knee came in 19 that uh, cut his season short now he is he's good to go and we talked about it a little bit with him the stuff is there we saw 99 up 97 you know when, when he came back and, and when he debuted he was getting it up there and that was the first step and now we know that he's healthy. He talked a little bit about his mechanical changes too. And there are tweaks there. And with those tweaks, we can assume if all goes accordingly, the command will get better. And I think that's where he faulted last season. But boy, overall, James, this is very encouraging stuff from a draft pick in the first round that you invested a little bit of capital in. Yeah, and it's the you know, it's the old Theo Epstein, like development isn't linear, right? I think he's a guy that a lot of people forgot about and a lot of people you know, probably wrote off the 2016 draft class a little bit and all of a sudden he's in the big leagues. And I think a lot of people were, were caught off guard. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit off air. Like I I was a little bit caught off guard too. You know, I reached out to a White Sox employee and, you know, I'm like, Hey, like what is, you know, he's, he's like ready to go here. And I was kind of surprised. And they said, yeah, you know, this stuff looks as good as it ever has. And with no minor league season and them at Schaumburg, that's just like kind of the stuff that we don't hear. And then, you know, I think everybody kind of remembers that debut. He looked awesome and obviously struggled a little bit. He had a, an ERA over 11 and gave up four homers, uh, you know, I think over what, like not even not even eight innings pitch, I think. But, you know, a lot of the the X data and the advanced stuff was, was really good on him. So I think over the course of like 162, some of that might have balanced out. They just didn't really have the time to wait over 60. But I think, you know, going forward, He's got as good a shot as any of these young guys being in next year's bullpen and then being a factor down there, you know, going forward, just kind of like what they thought when they took him as high as they did. Right. And I think when you look at just the results, they, they don't do it justice to a guy who obviously had to work his way back to, to this spot in his professional career where there are questions after Tommy John surgery, 
the velocity, it took a bit for him to get that back, and now it's back. And that was step one. The stuff is there. Let's let's fine-tune it now and see what Zach can can do. All right, James, let's get into a little bit of what you've been reporting, the nitty-gritty of this managerial search, because there are some names, oh, one name out there, very <laughs> loudly, uh, we can put it in layman's terms. It's Tony LaRusso. Tony LaRusso's name is being reported again and again, only because, re- I wouldn't say only because, but mainly because uh, a lot of the interviewing process can't get going uh, until after the World Series. But there was a report that the White Sox did meet with Tony LaRusso. What did you make of that, as well as how you feel about the White Sox standing currently uh, in terms of evaluating LaRusso? Yeah, so I mean, I think the shock like should have worn off by now, right? Like when Bob Nightingale came out last week, I think everybody was like, yeah, right, like Bob Nightingale's crazy. And then, you know, you kind of start to hear from other people. And, you know, the thing that probably was exaggerated is the fact that like Tony LaRusso is this like slam dunk number one candidate, like they're going to offer him the job. I don't think any of that's true. I think they've talked to him. I think, you know, we don't even know if he would take the job if he were offered it. You know, there's all sorts of stuff out there where he's been apprehensive recently. There's definitely a reason why they're interviewing Tony LaRusa. I don't think Tony LaRusa is the favorite for the job, but yeah, I mean, they, they've definitely talked to him and in Bruce Levine's piece yesterday, you know, it says that they've interviewed other people too. And some of those names aren't out there. And, you know, I reported a few of the names that I heard, you know, would be interviewing. Now, I don't know if those guys have interviewed yet. I just, you know, kind of had a list of names. And, you know, the White Sox seem to have a type for this other than Larusa. It's, you know, guys that are, that have analytical backgrounds that could have a tactical edge in the dugout and bring something more than they've like typically had. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's truly a search how much background and how much back channeling they're doing like right now. I don't know, but it seems like they're doing quite a bit. If, you know, reports are accurate that they want a manager within, you know, possibly the next 10 to 14 days, because five days after the world series, you know, is when free agency starts. And apparently they want their, their manager in place to whatever, go over reports and do all sorts of stuff as far as like free agency and trade. So I think it'll be before too long. I think white Sox fans that are, you know, sick of hearing about Tony LaRusso or, you know, the manager search in general should be hoping for this World Series to end as soon as possible, probably. Yeah, it seems like the Sox definitely have a plan here and they'll attack quickly, in my opinion, following the World Series. A few of the names, and you mentioned you reported on Southside Sox, and I just wanted to dive into that article that you put together. There was one name that we were talking a little bit about, but I saw you mentioned it in the article, and that was Sam Fold, 38 years old, of the Philadelphia Phillies. Sam Fold, where did that come from, and what can you tell me about him? Yeah, so it seems like like Sam Fold is apparently like a rising star in the baseball industry. Now, a lot of people think that he's a future GM. He's another Stanford guy, so you got the Kenny Williams connection there with Stanford. You know, when I first saw it, and like obviously like, I could be completely wrong here, but I've said the whole time, like, I think AJ Hinch is their number one candidate. So right away when I saw Sam Fold, I'm like, okay, maybe like Sam Fold is like AJ Hinch's like bench coach or something when I see it. Right. Cause I'd be kind of surprised if they hired Sam Fold as manager, just because it doesn't really fit what Rick Hahn said he was looking for. Now I wouldn't be upset. I think that would be like a really interesting move, especially, you know, 38 year old Sam Fold. He's like, 
some sort of like data info coordinator for the Phillies. He went over there with um, with Gabe Kapler and stayed there. So, you know, with the Girardi regime there, I don't know if he's looking to leave or what, but he did interview, I believe, for the Toronto Blue Jays job in 2018, and he was rumored uh, for the Cubs job last year but never interviewed. So, yeah, I, Sam Fold's a guy that we're going to hear a lot about, like I think over the next couple years, as far as like interviewing for specific jobs, maybe he goes the front office track instead of the coaching track. But yeah, when I heard that name, I, I think initially I kind of thought, oh, that's kind of kind of weird. But then I remembered that he is one of these like super data guys, you know, and he's like getting looks. So you know, some some of the other names on there that I that I mentioned, John Farrell, you know, a little more traditional, but he's in the, he's a special assistant scout with the Reds right now. He obviously has managerial experience. And then another guy, Bob Guerin. So Bob Guerin's actually like not that different from AJ Hinch. He's older, obviously, former catcher. Um, he managed the Oakland A's um back in the late two thousands. Um he was always talked about as this guy that had a tactical advantage and he was ahead of the times analytically and he is the highest paid bench coach in baseball right now. So Bob Guerin's the type of guy where like, I don't think that's a bench coach hire. That would be, you know, if he's leaving LA, he's leaving LA to manage. Um, so that, so I thought that was a name too. That was uh, a little bit interesting. And I see also Hensley, Hensley Wellens and Joe Espada, McIntyre. Is there Anything anything of substance there that we should be keeping an eye on from those three? So I haven't heard anything about those guys specifically, but those are like, you know, the, the guys that have typically interviewed for these jobs. So I think if you found out that the White Sox interviewed those guys, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, the same thing, there was like some Bruce Bochy stuff out there where it was kind of like, you know, yeah. oh, they're interested in La Russa, so they have to be interested in Bochy. Bochy kind of came back and said, like he would listen to a pitch, but he hasn't heard from them and he hasn't reached out. So I, I don't really see that as the way they're going. I, I think this is, I think this is really simple. I think they're, they're casting a fairly wide net because when you have a manager opening, I think, you know, you want to talk to a bunch of different people. And I think you're also possibly trying to set up the rest of the coaching staff and you might be talking to people for, you know, for down the road. And, you know, the two guys who were talked about right away, it, Alex Cora and AJ Hinch, you can't even talk to those guys right now. Like, even if there were some sort of back channel, you know, talking with AJ Hinch right now, like, I feel like if the league found out about it, like, you know, he could be in a lot of trouble and be suspended for even longer. So that stuff's like definitely not coming out. Um, you know, so, you know, that they have to wait until after the world series to even talk to him and hire him and they could move quick and do that. You know, I'm sure he's going to talk to the tigers too, but that's why I've kind of said, like, you know, the La Russa stuff came out and it seemed like imminent. Right. And it was like, yeah, I just like, I, you know, I thought that they'd want to interview like all these other guys. And obviously I heard about Garen, like they can't interview Bob Garen right now. So, you know, I think it's going to take a little bit longer, but I think they've definitely like done their work in regards to, you know, this search. Yeah, and I think the thing that we can take away from this, it's not Tony LaRusso or AJ Hinch. It's not that. It's Tony LaRusso is a part of the conversation, but all indications suggest without really knowing that AJ Hinch is the number one candidate at this point, just based on qualifications, the link. And I mean, of course, we, how are we supposed to know? But it just makes too much sense to dismiss it. 
So, I mean, he's available. He's got the baggage. I don't know how the front office feels about that baggage, but I think at this point, you know, AJ Hinch and even Alex Cora too are the most two most qualified candidates to fill this role. Yeah, and I would say that look, like the you know, I joked in the piece that the White Sox run their organization like a mob family, and that's <laughs> you know, it's kind of tongue in cheek, right? Like there's three guys. I would at, say so. <laughs> there's three guys at the top, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them have a different top candidate. It's just kind of the way that they've done business forever, you know. Sure. And you know, there's been many. Uh, you know, over at, at your employer, 670 to score, Dan Bernstein reported that, you know, that this is in fact going to be Rick Hahn's hire. And I think James Fegan at The Athletic has echoed similar and so has Jason Benetti. And, you know, if that's the case, Hinch makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't realize right away the ties that A.J. Hinch has to this organization. But, you know, for those that don't know, he you know, he was drafted by the White Sox a long time ago. And, you know, he's got his Stanford connection with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn was his agent 20 years ago when Rick Hahn worked for Jeff Morad's agency group. So, you know, that kind of stuff started coming out right away. As soon as uh, Rick Renteria was dismissed, it was kind of like, oh yeah, the leading candidate for this job is AJ Hinch. And it's one of those things that kind of blindsided me because obviously like it's not something that the organization typically does, right? It goes out and hires like the guy that's perceived by many as the top candidate that's had managerial experience, that's probably going to be fairly expensive. So yeah, I, I think it caught a lot of people off guard. Um, and then the LaRusa stuff came out after that, which, you know, has kept, has kept the White Sox in the news for over a week now. I think it just comes down to the fact that you better get the right guy, right? Don't, don't settle for your guy, uh, you know, get the right one, get the right fit. Yeah, I agree. And I think, look, even myself included, been a little bit hard on Tony La Russa, I think. And I think in the piece, I tried to be fair. Because look, like, I don't think that would be a good idea. But I think some people have gone overboard as far as, like, right, the, right. the the slander of, of Tony La Russa. I mean, look, he's dealt with all sorts of players in his career. And he's he's not, like, this old-school dinosaur where like he wouldn't like be looking at the numbers and stuff he would I think he'd be fine in that aspect my issue with Tony La Russa is that it feels like it would be a short-term arrangement and that doesn't make any sense right now you know like hiring Tony La Russa to win the 2021 World Series and then figuring out who your next manager is going to be like doesn't make sense when there's candidates that you could hire and people that could be here for the next decade Sure, and maybe we we can think, you know, and again, we don't know, and but that does make sense. You think of Larusa as just a one or two year guy. You're taking on a group ready to win now, a core of young players who, you know, were acquired via trade, drafted, signed internationally, and they're about to take off. And Larusa's the guy. And the thing is, like with that, and this is the last thing I'll say about the Tony Larusa thing. Hopefully, for the rest of the year, is uh, that. I think being away from the game as a manager in 2011, since 2011, right? And I know you're he's in the front offices of, of three different organizations, but this is a guy who was catching up to the analytical mindset and the focus and the modern era of baseball. I, I don't think like I think he's capable of of doing those things like you mentioned, and I think he would be a fine manager and he would be an upgrade over Rick Renteria. It's just when at this point with this group, I think there are more qualified candidates who are advanced in their managerial careers, who have been a part of it, who are who are just better. I think they're just better candidates than a guy 
who's kind of been away from the game in the dugout. And again, like he's been in the game. I don't want to get that misconstrued. It's just, it's a difference there when, when he's not managing a ball club across 162. Well, and I've seen it mentioned too. And, you know, in a different podcast, the Chuck Garfine podcast, they, you know, they played some snippets of, I guess, Tony La Russa was on with the Graham Bensinger who has all these guests on and high profile guests and, Tony LaRusso was on there and Jerry was on there and all sorts of, you know, Dave Dombrowski. And, you know, they kind of talked about like, you know, if, if Tony was in the dugout for a Tuesday night game, like he'd be as sharp as anybody and he'd be fine. But the problem is the other stuff that comes with managing all the travel spring training, you know, it's just a long grind. And that's where being 76, you know, does factor in a little bit. I think, you know, some of it, like, oh, they can't hire a 76-year-old manager. Like, look, some of that is a little bit ageist. Like, yeah. the fact that he's 76, that's not the biggest deal. But he does, you know, he does have, you know, he's had some health issues, like, physically. He's had, like, hip issues. And, and you know, one of the reasons why he never came back in the first place was, was because of that. He just, like, yeah. didn't, you know, he didn't think that he could be the Tony La Russa that everybody, I feel like, would expect him to be now, which is why... You know, I think ultimately he won't end up, you know, either being offered this job or taking this job or whatever. I don't, I don't ultimately think it ends up being Tony Larusa. But, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see. I mean, I kind of feel mm-hmm. like if that's the direction that they were going to go, they might have done it already. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But, you know, this this thing's been in the news cycle here for a week now, and they can't hire AJ Hinch till after the World Series, but they could hire Tony Larusa on an off day. I mean, got you know. Team teams made some transactions today because there's no baseball games today. So you know something something could have been done today if they had a candidate um, that they were ready to name. Sure, and I think that's totally fair when you talk about a little bit what I was alluding to in terms of the day to day aspect of managing across 162. Really good stuff, James. Check out James Fox's work on Southside Sox as well as us here at Future Sox. James, always a pleasure. That was a really good conversation again with. Zach Birdie. Appreciate everybody tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Stay tuned to what we have to offer across the offseason. Check us out on anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox for our entire library. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google. Until next time, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in.